0: Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dearest Jesus, uh, we thank you that you've called us to belong to you by grace. Uh, We thank you that we are your own, the church. We pray now that you would have us hear the words written long ago, preached today, the words that you would have us hear to invite us deeper into a life with you, to, to challenge us and convict us and form us as your followers today. Open us up, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, And speaking of opening up, would you grab a Bible somewhere near you? If you're at home, pause this video right now, go find your Bible. We're on page 1028, which is the first page of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Again, that's page 1028. And imagine for a moment with me that you're at a birthday party for one of your friends, and you're in line to get cake, if we were at my birthday party and you were there, uh, we'd be having chocolate cake, which is my favorite cake, fun fact for you, uh, my birthday's in April, another fun fact for you, so maybe those things... Uh, I just turned 40 though, which isn't really that fabulous uh, when you're as bald as I am and you have as much gray hair as I do on my beard. Uh, Some people have said to me, wow, I didn't know you were that young. And I said, well, it turns out (laughs) I am, so. (laughs) All right, enough about me. (laughs) So uh, you're in line, that's where we are together, in our minds, we're in line, Uh, you bump into somebody who you don't know, Uh, you're making small talk, you know, First question, oh, so what's your name? I'm so-and-so. Introduce yourself, number one. Uh, looking for something else to say. Oh, so how do you know the birthday boy? Right? And if you don't know that, file that one away for the next time you're at a birthday party you don't know what to say to somebody who you don't know. That's number two. What question, though, at some point in the conversation with someone new gets asked eventually? Anybody? This, you can say it out loud. What do you do? do, do? Notice nobody said... Hey, how about them Rockies? Because we all know. (laughs) What do you do? Why is that the question we ask at some point? I think it's because on some level we know that what someone does, whether it's professionally or not, says something about who we are, that what we do and who we are are inextricably intertwined, and yet we know deep down that we are far more than our professional vocation, far more than what we do for a living, that in any given moment there are a number of vocations that we have, a number of hats that we wear, that I'm a pastor, but before I'm a pastor, I'm a husband first and a father second. Apparently my son, by the way, wants me to be the king, so I don't know, fun fact for that too. He was that guy And i'm a son too I'm a brother I'm a friend I'm a pastor as well. I mean every single one of us Has a number of vocation number of hats that we wear And if you were to think about them for more than a couple of seconds You know that it's not just what you do and not just who you are But who you are is connected to a number of people that those are all Relationships are vocations that we're always in connection to someone else as a husband or a mother whatever we are, and whatever we do. Last week, if you're here with us, we talked about how in the opening verses of John, that he goes right after the deepest longings and questions of human existence. Our, Our origin, where we came from, and our destiny, where we're headed, and our uncertainty, how we can know that these things are true. And here, as John is writing these things furiously as fast as Jesus is revealing them to him, John is going after, as Jesus is revealing to him, one of the deepest longings of our existence today, our identity, who we are, and why we matter. And the things that we do that have worth and significance. On a good day, those things are aligned and we feel like we're in our sweet spot when who we are matches what we do. Sometimes one of those things is out of sync, either one Those are hard days. You're not the person who you want to be. Plenty of us. And not doing, either professionally or not, the kinds of things that we want to do, that we know that we can be good at. What does Jesus have to tell us about our identity? So much here. So here's what we'll do over the next few minutes together. We'll see who he is. That's the way Revelation chapter one begins in the text we have today second what he does they're intertwined And third how that tells us something so significant and deep and important about Who we are who he is what he does who we are let's first turn to who he is And may I pull over for a moment And just acknowledge the fact that not only are there a lot of us in the room, but there are a lot of us At a lot of different points, in answer to this question Who is Jesus? Because there are some of us who are new, who are asking this question for the first or second time, perhaps ever in the journey of our lives. And there are some of us who are in the room, for that matter, who have given up on this question altogether. Been here, heard the sermon. Love Jesus. Know He loves me. We're good. Sometimes that kind of is a good thing, but sometimes that turns into a complacent, tough thing. I mean, stay with us for a few weeks as we get further into Revelation that Jesus has a lot to say to us about that. And there's some of us who are in the room who are neither one of those things who, who find ourselves asking this question all over again Jesus, who are you? experiencing a new awakening in our journey of following Jesus. You know, on a good day, the longer that you're married to someone, you're still learning new things about them, new things that surprise you, a few that might not surprise you or that might still kind of annoy you, Uh, but not in my marriage ever. That's not how we... I mean, we've all got those ones. The longer you know somebody, the, the better it gets It's the same thing with Jesus There are some of us who are in the room who are still learning new things And some things that still confront us that, that begin to challenge us all over again And cause us to live a different way No matter where you are on that journey Maybe you're asking it for the first time Or maybe you've stopped asking Or you're asking it again altogether Let me invite all of us today To let Jesus tell us who he is On his terms Not ours John, imagine him, pen in hand, furiously scribbling as quickly as he can these things that Jesus is revealing to him. He's writing from the island of Patmos. It's a Greek island today, west of Turkey. In 95 AD, when John is writing these things, it's a Roman colony, and not some seaside resort. It's a prison camp. And John is essentially alone. All of his closest friends, the 11 other disciples, Matthias, who replaced Judas, they're all dead. And he's the last one left. a new wave of persecution is underway in the church as people are martyred for their profession not that Caesar is lord but that Jesus is lord we're told here that John is writing to a group of seven churches now they're in a circle if you were to put them on a map on the western edge of turkey and i want you to imagine as we read verse 3 in just a moment a group of isolated Christians huddled in their homes circled around this word from the Lord. And in any minute a Roman guard could knock down the door take them out of their homes out of the arms of their loved ones and haul them to jail put them on trial perhaps even execute them for their profession not that Caesar is Lord but that Jesus is Lord this Jesus of Nazareth is the true God the true king ruler over the kings of the earth picture that in your mind as we read verse 3 John says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy Blessed are those who hear And who keep what is written in it For the time is near Then didn't have personal Bibles and didn't have a family Bible They could pull off the shelf This is a letter that they would read to one another Out loud And that they would hear read John says there's a blessing here Not just for those people back then But even for us here today too Blessed are you If you pay attention to the words of revelation In the future The glorious future that is before us Verse 3, verse 4 He continues and says this John, he signs his letter at the top to the seven churches that are in Asia grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come that's God the Father and from the seven spirits who are before his throne which is a way of describing the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit John says to them grace Peace. Now, if you had a friend, and your friend was struggling in a very difficult spot, they were stuck, feeling tempted, and wondering if following Jesus was even worth anything at all, considering walking away from him completely, chances are you wouldn't write to them and say something to make their problems go away to try to make them And characterize them in a way To say they're very small To say, hey, you know, it's okay This soon will pass God never gives you more than you can handle Everything happens for a reason To try to talk your friend Out of their feelings To try to make them feel like their experience And their problems were small Chances are you wouldn't do that Maybe you do what John does here Rather than show them how small their problems are John is showing how great their God is In the midst of their great problems Here's the list he gives them We've already seen God the Father The third person, the Holy Spirit Here's how he describes Jesus Who he is and how great he is Look, verse 5 And from, greetings, from Jesus Christ The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead And the ruler of the kings on earth Oh, this list! Let's so great we could. Oh, damn, the the first or the faithful witness. Now this word witness witness in English, in Greek it's the word martyr. And John is saying to them and to you and to me that you have a faithful witness in Jesus Christ, who is faithful to you until the end. This is not unlike what we're hearing from Afghanistan right now. Somewhere between 8,000 and 12,000 Christians in isolated communities, in homes by themselves, afraid for their lives. Uh, From what I understand and what I've been reading, that Uh, earlier this summer that Christians were asked to register that they were Christians. There's one church in Afghanistan. It's a Catholic chapel in the Italian embassy. So all 10,000 or so, let's just split the difference, 10,000 Christians in their homes. One pastor got a call a week ago that said, voice on the other end of the line said, we know who you are and we're coming to get you. Something we can imagine here. Does that make... Does that make some of the things that are hard for us feel a little smaller in comparison? In, but in, like, in a good way. And maybe you've seen the images, swarms of people at the airport in Kabul, On the tarmac Hanging on to planes As they're taking off Pictures of Parents Shoulder to shoulder Lined With people Handing their own children over their head So that someone in front of them Can hand them over a wall To the possibility of a better life. I have a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. And that seems terrifying to me. I mean, it is hard to think about, it. it is hard to watch those things. And I, I, I would just guess that for those parents, somehow... To hand their children over to people who they don't even know for the possibility of a better life somehow is less terrifying than raising them in their own home with the future that may be before them. Does that make our anger and our anxiety about masks seem a little smaller today? And so Jesus says that I am the faithful witness and I am the one who is in this with you. I am the faithful witness. I am the firstborn of the dead. I love the way one commentator puts this. He says this very simply but very profoundly. This means he's the first one to conquer death after whom many others will follow. That's you. I mean, that's your glorious future. If he's the firstborn of the dead, the first one to conquer death, you, if you follow him and love him, you will follow him and conquer your death too. And our momentary troubles are light and passing compared to the glory that lies before us. Because he is the firstborn of the dead And the ruler of the kings on earth And this means for us, my friends That no Caesar, no supreme leader No president, no public health department That there is a king over them And because he is over them That means that even in what seemed like The darkest days of history He is working through them And his name is Jesus And he is coming for all who belong to him. And he is coming even for those who don't. If you still got your Bible open, and I hope you do, look with me at verse 7 behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen what's john saying here that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus is lord and one day the wicked and those aligned against him will get their due the divine justice is coming from the king who's the ruler over the kings on earth who he is and who he is tells us something about what he does that's what John continues and shows us two things here what he does, verse 5 to him, Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, loves us frees us, you say loves us okay, yeah, yeah, I got that John 3.16, right? I know that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes in Him. Heard that before? Yeah. God loves the world. He loves the darkest corners of Kabul. And He loves the darkest corners of your heart. You stick around here long enough. You hear something once or twice that the grammar matters. What's the tense of the verb loves? Anybody all together. What is it? Present tense. Not that he loved you though he did, but he loves you. It's what Peter is saying when he calls you in the present. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are his own. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have loves you. Present tense today. How do you know? How do you know that he loves you and that he frees you? Because he Entered this world as a helpless child and allowed himself to be handed over by his own father, not to the possibility of death, but to its certainty. And he did that because he loves you. And he did that for the guarantee of a better life for you. A better life in the present because you are his own. And a better eternity for the future and the glory that awaits you. Because he is... The faithful witness and the firstborn among the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, that's who he is and what he has done is in his love for you, he has freed you that you might be his own forever. Now, let's wrap up by simply saying if that's who he is and if that's what he does, what does that say about who we are? Because didn't you say something about identity a few minutes ago, Pastor Nate? You've been talking about Jesus this whole time. What about us? How is anything of this personal and practical for us today? Well, I'm glad you asked who we are. I think conventional wisdom says that who we are comes from what we do. And I feel good when I am the person who I want to be and I'm doing the kinds of things that I want to do. When those two things are in line, you can conquer the world. Get through the hardest things Have the greatest day When those two things are out of sync Quite the opposite Uh, Here's what Tim Keller says About connecting our identity To what we do He says this That when our identity is in our work Success goes to our head And failure goes to our heart I mean that slays me Every time I read that Let's use the word "work" broadly speaking here. All of our vocations, what we do—not just what we get paid to do—but when we are the mom that we think we should be, and we are the the son, and we're doing well, when we're performing, when we're living up to either our standards for ourselves or the standards of the people around me, success goes to our head. Failure goes to our hearts. I've been doing this 14 years, and every Saturday afternoon, when I'm preaching. Uh, my wife, Jackie, gets a text from me and says, hey, I need you to pray for me. It was about three hours, four hours before the Saturday night service, because the sermon's just not quite coming together yet, and I don't really like it yet, and I'm not really sure how it's going to go. I'm reaching out to Micah, you know, friends of mine say, could you pray for me? Uh, And I've realized uh, that sometime in the process of this, in fact, Jackie and I were just talking about this yesterday, that I want to do well, but I don't want to do well, I've realized for your sake. I mean, I do, kind of, but I don't need... (laughs) (laughs) I really do, yeah. I realize what I don't need is a high-five from you on my way out the door. I'm not a words-of-affirmation, love-language person. I don't need you to tell me how well I've done. What I realize I think I need instead is I need myself to tell me how well I've done. Uh, and so uh, last service I'm sitting right there uh, during the offering and I realized there was a line in my sermon that I forgot to say And it's right here at the top of this page and I underlined it and circled it because I was thinking to myself Oh, well, I got to say the next service and then somewhere in that moment Uh, there's like this clarity came over me and I realized that that my failure to forget one line had gone to my heart You know, and I just started laughing at myself <laughs> like We were singing a hymn and I just thought this is just so silly that I would just be so upset about one little thing Okay, whether that's you or not Our anxiety Tells us This is the line I forgot i'll tell you right now that our anxiety and our anxiousness shows us what's at the center Of our heart and the source of our identity That what makes us angry What makes us mad? What makes us sad? What makes us afraid? That shows us what we're stacking up next to Jesus in the center of our heart. It's easy to connect our identity to what we do, whether you're a preacher or not. And how well we live up to our standards for ourselves or the standards of our people around me. For some of us, it's in what we do To some degree, I would say it's for all of us. Here's another way to put it together, how we feel. The conventional wisdom today in our modern heroic narrative If you notice this, is this That that we celebrate the people around us Who go inside and discover Who they are, they they connect with The deepest longings and desires Of their heart, and then they go outside And express that You know, something's been hidden The old is gone, but the new is in And this is the new me, I finally found who I really am And these are the people that we put On magazine covers And In Disney movies case in point, let's turn to the great theologian Elsa from Frozen (laughs) I'm not even kidding alright, listen let it go, you know the song I've got boys so I kind of know it but not that well as some of you do you're going to sing it with me in your head as I say these lines don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be conceal, don't feel don't let them know what's she doing there? She, she's trying to suppress her feelings and, and, and put them in a corner. She's, she's going inside, but she's trying to, to lock them away. Next verse, she says this. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. She's changed. Do you notice that? And of course, how does it end? Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I gotta tell you this, this is the only time you're ever gonna hear me sing Scott Abel, that guy any chance he gets, you know (laughs) I hope you're watching this on vacation right now (laughs) It's inside out, it's go inside, discover who you are and express it on the outside, and that doesn't work for a number of reasons, among them oftentimes it comes at a great cost, not to the person who's freeing themselves, but at a cost to the people and the relationships around them And the trouble with that too is that what ends up happening is that we're not free. What we've actually done is we've crowned our feelings the king of our heart and we've made them our master. Which only works until our feelings change. Which inevitably happens because we do too. Maybe it's not from what we do and maybe it's not in how we feel. And Jesus shows us a better way. And so let me just close with the next words of Revelation chapter 1. John says he loves us, he freed us, and, verse 6, he made us. A kingdom. Priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kingdom, priests, what is this about? This is a thread woven from beginning to end, from Alpha and to Omega, throughout the scriptures. This is God nudging Abraham in the middle of the night and saying, Hey, get up out of your tent. Let's go outside because there's something I want to show you. Don't count or count the stars in the sky, I know you can't, uh, you can't because you'll have more descendants than them, I'll make you a great nation, and so Jesus shows up and he says, in me, this nation this kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand, and to the, re- the readers of Revelation, John is saying you huddled in your homes you not, aren't just in a kingdom but you are a kingdom I have a friend his name is Ike, he's a pastor at another church off of Broadway Road we sent our kids to his VBS a couple years ago and we become friends. And he sent me a text the other day and he said, Nate, have you seen uh, the such and such family at your church recently? I said, no, I don't think so. I don't recognize that name. And he said, well, I was hoping that was the case because they live in your neighborhood and they said they're leaving our church and if they were gonna end up someone else, uh, somewhere else, I wish it could be yours. And this is kind of obvious to me, but it dawned on me in that moment that we have other brothers and sisters who live in the neighborhoods right around, some of you are from, right around the corner. Maybe that's easy to take for granted. I I was at a memorial service uh, that I had done for a young man who died in his 20s, back in February. I was talking to his family members, his aunt and his uncle, in the Fellowship Hall, the reception, right after the memorial service. And we're making small talk like you do. Well, how do you know the person who passed away? Turns out they were related and, oh, well, where do you live? And they said, oh, well, we live over there by Littleton Hospital. I said, really, I live by Littleton Hospital. And they said, well, where do you live? And we realized that they lived literally in my backyard, the house behind me and one house over. And they had moved here to Denver to be near their family And they had picked a particular Catholic church That they knew and loved And they don't want to leave Denver Though they might have to Because they don't want to leave this church behind You're not just in a kingdom You are a kingdom Whether you know your neighbors super well or not, the kingdom of God is at hand. He has made you a kingdom, and through you, the rule and the reign of this king is breaking into the world today. And you're a priest, you're a representative in all of your brokenness, in all of your weakness, in all of your vocations, whether you nail it today or you fail at it tomorrow, he's reigning in you, and through you, you are his own. This is who he is. John's showing us. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. And this is what he does. He loved you and has freed you to make you his own that you might live under him in his kingdom now and forever. To Jesus Christ be all the glory. Amen.